Welcome. You are listening to Mountain View Scattered. This is an audio companion to our weekly church gatherings. It is a way to stay connected while you are away and to learn more about our community, how we can best reach and serve it. I'm your host, Wade. So, here we go. Matthew chapter 6. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, we've already talked about this, and we've read the wider context in which Jesus is speaking here, right? It's a part of the Sermon on the Mount. It's a part of his regular teaching series. Really, that's what the Sermon on the Mount was. Jesus had one thing to declare, and that was that the kingdom of God was at hand, right? John the Baptist started us off with this when we studied Mark's gospel together, and Jesus comes as the king and says, yes, the kingdom is here. And so the Sermon on the Mount was, at least in part, um, a wider teaching of that. And we see from Mark's Gospel and Luke's Gospel and Matthew's Gospel and John's that Jesus generally taught the same kinds or styles of lessons everywhere that he went. Which is why then, when we come to Luke, and here's the situation... The disciples come to Jesus and they say, uh, Jesus, look, John, he taught his disciples how to pray. Won't you teach us how to pray? Aren't you a better teacher than, than John, the, baptize, the baptizer, that is? And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Those are two very different prayers. Even though, um, today, we're going to be looking at your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, In Luke's gospel, the only thing he says is, your kingdom come. So just a couple of observations there. But why would these be different? Well, they may be different, not because Luke was right and Matthew was wrong or vice versa, but because Jesus taught this prayer everywhere that he went. He taught people how to pray. And in teaching people how to pray, he was teaching them how to communicate with their good heavenly Father. And he was also teaching them how to think about who he was, what their future was going to be like as a people rescued by Jesus. But then we have Matthew, we have Luke, but we also have a prayer that most of us generally know. Okay, Um, In fact, Hanania, not to throw you under the bus, you did a great job with it. At small group, you said the Lord's Prayer, and this is what you said. This is the one you said. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread 
and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, power, and glory now and forever. Amen. You'll notice those last two lines are nowhere in Matthew or Luke's gospel. So why would we pray them? Well, how's the answer? We don't know why we pray them. Is that a good enough answer? No, probably not. Here's as best of an answer as I can give you. I think it's actually a really good addition to the prayer. Okay? Which, hold on, are we adding to the words of Christ? No, we're not. Uh, We're actually taking other words of God from Scripture. Specifically, this comes from a condensed version of 1 Chronicles, chapter 29. And it's added on to the end of the Lord's Prayer. From the very, very early years of the church, uh, at least as early as year 120, this was added on to the Lord's Prayer. So that it would start with something, it would end with something. It would be a good thing to do in a service together, to read together, to say together. And a good way to acknowledge um, two ways of thinking about God's kingdom. All right? So I think it's a good addition to the prayer. If you pray it like that, good, keep doing it. Um, And if you have questions about that, we'll dig into it a little bit more as we go throughout the series. All right. Last week, we asked in in our prayer that God's name, our Heavenly Father, that His name would be made holy. That it would be kept holy. Last week we heard what the holiness of God and how His holiness is represented in His name, what it has to do with this prayer that Jesus taught His disciples and that He is still teaching His disciples today. When we pray that God, well, when we pray for God asking Him to keep His name holy, we are first of all admitting fact that God is holy. Secondly, we are asking that that fact would be made known throughout the world. And lastly, we are asking that the truth of God's holiness would be known by the way His church lives. However, if we are simply living righteous lives, rule-keeping, if we're prettying up the grave, as it were, shining the urn, putting lipstick on the pig, painting the house, whatever you want to say, a righteousness apart from Jesus is no righteousness at all. It is instead the final bitter nail in the coffin that tells us that we cannot save ourselves. And so we said last week, because of Jesus' righteousness, the name of God will be kept holy. Because we are not going to perfectly keep His name holy in all that we do and say. Inside these walls or outside of them. It is only because of what Jesus has done for you and for us that we can even acknowledge God's name as holy. Because before Jesus told us uh, of this by His Word and Spirit, we were enemies of God. 
content and even pleased with our self-righteousness and our sin. And today, this naturally leads us into the next two uh, petitions, the next two appeals, the next two things that we're going to God and asking Him for in this prayer, for His kingdom and for His will. Specifically, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are led from this idea of God, our Heavenly Father, that is heavenly, He is separate from us, He is distinct from us, He is sanctified, He is holy, right? And last week, looking at His holiness, we are led into um, this next appeal uh, that we are to be making to our Heavenly Father, something that we cannot do on our own. And so, here's our big idea. Jesus' kingdom is coming in fullness and in it, God's will will be done. Okay? God's will is done. Jesus' kingdom is coming in fullness, and in it, God's will is done. So, his kingdom. Now, we've been through this before, actually, in Mark's gospel. But I think it's important that we, re we remember what this kingdom is. We remember that at the beginning of Mark's gospel, John the Baptist was coming out and he was saying, the kingdom of God is at hand, right? And then Jesus comes and says, the kingdom has arrived. Well, when we think about the kingdom, uh, we had a definition for this. We had a definition for this. God's people in God's place under God's authority. And there's a couple different ways that we could say this. Uh, God's people in God's place, under His authority, experiencing the fullness of His blessings, of His good gifts that He is offering to us. And when Jesus came, this is what He was bringing. He was bringing together a people for Himself, in a place for Himself, maybe, we'll see, and under His authority, experiencing the fullness of the blessings of the good gifts that He has to give to us. Another way that we talked about the kingdom was wherever the king is present. Wherever the king is present. So when we were looking at Mark's gospel, we were reminded that it seemed as though Jesus was always wavering whether the kingdom was here or the kingdom was not yet here, whether it was present or whether it was still coming. And that's because both of those things were true, right? The kingdom had come. Why? Because the king was there, standing before his people. And yet, the kingdom had not come in its fullness. Why? Because the king was not there to stay. Not yet, anyway. The king still had to be placed on his throne. And that throne was a cross. And he did that for you and for me those people that were under his authority and experiencing the fullness of his blessings. And with that said, though, throughout all of Scripture, we see some things about the kingdom that we can say and some things that we can't say about the kingdom. All right, now we've already been through these before. You're not expected to write all this down or keep up with them. 
But I think it's a good reminder because so often in this world we are encouraged um, to bring the kingdom. Or we are encouraged to pray that the kingdom would come here and now in this place. Which I think is a little bit different than may your kingdom come. But here's what some things that we see from Scripture. Forgive me, I don't have my clicker. Um, the kingdom draws near. It comes, it arrives, it appears, it is active in the world. These things we can say for sure the kingdom is doing. And in that, God is doing those things, right? He's bringing it near. But we also see that God gives the kingdom to his people. We also see that God can take away his kingdom in Scripture. We see that he reigns in it, and also that he sends the king to set it up. Here's what we don't do with the kingdom, okay? Here's what we don't do. We don't give it to anyone. We don't establish it. We don't grow or expand it. We do not build it, and we cannot harm or destroy the kingdom. It is entirely a work of God. It is entirely a work of God. And this is why we would pray, your kingdom come. Not, Lord, help us to build your kingdom here and now in your church. Not, Lord, may you take over this city in which we live and renew and make new everything about it. Because those are not the types of things that we have authority in. However, there are things that we can do as it pertains to the kingdom. We can receive it, right? If it can be given to us, we can receive it. We can inherit it. We can enter into it. We can possess it. And if we can possess it, we can reject it or refuse it. And the last thing that we see we can do as, a, as, it, um, as it relates to the kingdom, is that we can preach the kingdom. That is, that we can speak the very words of God about what is going to happen with his kingdom. All right. Now, that was a quick run-through, okay? Very quick run-through. Um, so, God's kingdom is his people, in his place, under his authority. We could also say it's the forever home of God's people and it's wherever the king is present. The Apostle Paul in Romans 8 says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to the corruption, to corruption, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait 
eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For it is in this hope that we are saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Here, the Apostle Paul is talking about what our lives will one day be like. And also, what the Apostle Paul is talking about here is what our lives will one day be like in his kingdom. One of the reasons why we pray that his kingdom come is because it's clearly not here right now. Now, um, I remember when Tara and I were living here, I believe it was in 2010, everyone else would probably remember this better, uh, but there was a big royal wedding, right? And I distinctly remember we were in Sweet Home in Philippi, uh, right around Nyanga in Cape Town in Mitchell's Plain, uh, the most impo impoverished area of the Cape Flats, okay? And... Um, I do just remember we were doing house visits, Tara and I, and uh, all of a sudden, the streets just went cr totally quiet. There was no one walking around on the streets. There was no one sitting on their porches. And here we were supposed to be doing house visits. And we didn't even know who was home anymore. Typically, that would have been an easy thing. And then, as we got closer to the houses, we suddenly realized that, that everyone's TV was on the exact same channel. And so... We just started knocking on doors and someone invited us in not to pray for them or to receive the, the little food parcel that we had brought for them, uh, but to invite us in so that we could have tea with them and watch the royal wedding. Now I got to say, as an American, this was a very, very, very strange thing for me, okay? Here I was in a place that did not seem like we would be celebrating royalty or enamored with royalty. In all honesty, here was a place that was absolutely devastated by bad leadership. By not having a sovereign that reigns well and gives good gifts. And here I am, sitting down to enjoy a cup of tea to watch a wedding. That was strange. Now we've had another royal wedding since then. And since then, social media has made royal weddings an even bigger deal. And yet it's still just a little bit foreign to me. But if you give me, for instance, different books, or if you were to ask me to watch a movie with castles and knights and people with swords and bows and arrows, I would be all over that. Why? Oh, because it makes for a great story, doesn't it? Once a year, I try to read through The Lord of the Rings, which is a very long, dorky series, okay? And one of the most beautiful things in that series is that all the time, it seems that we're surrounded by sovereigns by kings that have a lack of authority who have squandered their authority have lost their resources to to enact their authority or by evil kings and then finally at the end of this tale there is a good king that is placed on a throne and under him his people thrive 
This is why we like royal weddings, isn't it? Because it's this picture of this grander story out there in the world that we just typically do not get to see. It's the hope that there is somewhere in this world a good ruler that wants the best for his people and will actually have the ability to make the best for their people happen. And it's why Jesus asks us to pray, your kingdom come. Because in that kingdom, as we've read so many times in Isaiah, as we read throughout all of the prophets, as we read throughout all of Paul's writings, this kingdom is a glorious one. This kingdom is a place where death no longer exists. This kingdom is a place where pain no longer exists. This kingdom is a place where food literally pours out of the ocean, where fields of grain can feed you with bread and there are vineyards full of grapes for fine wine. What we're praying for is a kingdom that is going to fill up all those dreams that we've ever had. That's what Jesus is asking us to pray. That His kingdom come. The other thing that Paul says there in chapter 8 of Romans is that now hope that is seen is not hope. Why else do we pray, right? Because it's just not clearly visible to us in the here and now. However, you also know that sometimes when talking about what the church is and defining what we think, the way that we think about our church, we sometimes talk about it as God's people in God's place under His authority experiencing the fullness of His blessings. We do that imperfectly. And yet this is a place where God has not called His kingdom to be built by us, and yet He has asked us as a church and as the church throughout the world to, at least in some ways, picture that kingdom. He's asked us to serve and to love one another so that there would be an abundance of food as we hope and as we know will, we will have in His kingdom when it comes in its fullness. We have been asked as a church to not only love one another well, but to be under God's Word, to be under Christ Himself, to be obedient to what it is that Christ has called us to, all of the things that Christ has called us to. In 1 Corinthians, we read this, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, 
those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And as we so often confess together from Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, right, Colossians, we see that already somehow Paul sees that as having taken place, that he has placed all enemies under his feet, and he is the supreme ruler of all in the here and the now. Even though Paul also talks about it, as Jesus did, as something that will happen in the future as well. And so we pray, your kingdom come. We also pray that God's will be done. That God's will be done. And now there's two ways that I think we should be thinking about um, God's will here. Okay? Throughout Scripture, we have two ways of thinking about God's will. We have those things that God causes to happen. And when God causes something to happen, He has a purpose for what He causes to happen. In fact, throughout Scripture, we can go so far as to say that God causes all things to happen. And therefore, He has a purpose for all things. But also in God's Word, we see that His will is not just those things that He declares to happen, but it's also those things that he commands for us to do. So it's those things he declares to happen, the purposes that he has for them, and then also his will being the things that he commands for us to do. In Galatians, Paul says this, Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Here we have two lists of things that we should be doing and things that we shouldn't be doing. That list, as we read, as Beverly read for us today, uh, and as we read each week in our New Testament readings, and our epistle readings, um, Typically, we have these lists of things that we shouldn't do. It is God's will for us that we shouldn't do these things. And yet, we fail at that. We don't keep His will perfectly, and yet, it's what He's asked us to do. And on the flip side of that here, we have the fruit of the Spirit, which, hear it, right? These are fruits grown in you by the Holy Spirit. You cannot do them in and of yourself. That is a righteousness that is separate from Christ. And yet, it is fruit 
that God wants to grow in you through his spirit and through his word. And it is fruit that he promises to grow in you. And it's things that he commands you to do. To be gentle. To have patience. To be kind. To show goodness and faithfulness and self-control. And so, we have God's purposes for events in this world, and we have those things that He commands His people to do. When we pray, Your will be done, that is what we are praying. And interestingly enough, at the end of Matthew chapter 6, verse 10 there, we read, On earth as it is in heaven. Here's some good news. There's already a place where God's will is being done all the time without fail in heaven. Right? And we know, as good students of the Bible, that one day, heaven and earth created anew by Christ eventually at the very end of time, becoming one. And this is when His kingdom is in its fullness and there is full obedience to all the commands of God. Right? His will will be totally done. Now, His commands to His people, okay, we've covered that. But His purposes for events... This is a much larger conversation, and yet it's something that we need to touch on. And that is that as our Father, God does want the best for us, right? We've, we learned that He's a good Father. And yet sometimes there are things that happen to us that do not seem good. And in that, we are called to understand what God's will is. Something that has happened to us is God's will. It is. And we have been called, if not to be content, to accept it and to grow through it. That sounds harsh. It sounds hard. And it is hard. It was even hard for our Savior Jesus. We all know from the end of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus in the Garden, He's going a little bit further. He fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. When we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are also praying, not as I will, but you will, Father. Jesus' kingdom is coming in its fullness. And in that kingdom, God's will is done. Both in heaven now, in His church, sometimes. We have beautiful pictures of what kingdom life will be like. In the world, sometimes. We have a beautiful picture of what the kingdom will be like. But until that day comes, we are to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Next week as we come together, we're going to be asking for our daily bread. But before we get to next week, we're actually going to be partaking of that bread this morning. Okay? We're going to be partaking of that bread this morning. As we prepare for the Lord's Supper, um, I'm going to pray for us, and then I would ask that you take a couple of minutes and reflect upon your week. You take a couple of minutes and think about the person, your, the people that you stay with, the people, your closest neighbors, those people that probably we sin against the most. <laughs> we consider what it is that, I want you to consider what it is that Christ has done for you. And I want you to consider ways and areas in your life that you know you're falling short. I want you to bring those before Christ this morning. And the good news is, and the promise of this meal is that Jesus does forgive you. In fact, you are forgiven. And because of that, we know that we can freely bring our sin, our selfishness, and our shortcomings to Christ. As I prepare the meal, I'll be playing some music. But first, let me, let me pray for us. Lord, we know that your kingdom does come by itself when you desire it to without our prayer. But you ask us to pray for it. So we ask, Lord, that you would continually make yourself known to us through your Holy Spirit, through your Holy Word, that we will lead godly lives right here, right now, as a foreshadowing, as a, as a picture of what we will one day be living with you in heaven and in your kingdom. And God, we also know that your good and gracious will is going to be done even without our prayer. And yet you ask us to pray it. And so, Lord, we pray that not our will, but yours be done. And we ask that with your will being done, that you would break every evil purpose and plan that is made for us in this world. And instead, what the world plans for evil, Lord, we would understand that you are planning it for our good. And Lord, we know that In your will, you will hold us fast and keep us firm in the faith until we die. And so, Lord, we, we pray for your kingdom to come. And we pray that your will be done on earth as it is. Thanks for listening. And remember that you were brought into the church by the saving work and person of Jesus. Also, that you are sent out to tell everyone about him. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Mountain View Scattered.